This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, here we go. Still in our prophecy series, and we're moving into Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take a stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take a stand. Daniel 3, first half of the chapter today. Now, I have, as we start this off, I have a confession to make. I'm a pyromaniac. I, yes, I like fires a lot. I remember my grandpa had an old fire truck, and we used to ride around his field and pushing on the siren, and all the people in their houses would come out, run out, look, and watch us, and we'd be waving, riding, driving up on this fire truck. Oh, we had a lot of good time with that. Loved to ride it. And I loved to make fires, too, which was worked out great because I lived on a farm. And if you live on a farm, you can have lots of fires, and we did. Uh, we, sometimes we got carried away with those fires, and my dad did, too. There were fire trucks at different times coming to our house, but we won't go into that story. That's for another time. But <clears throat> the worst um, the worst fire that we ever had, it was my brother Todd and I. He's a couple years younger, and I was like maybe 11 or 12, and he was 9 or 10, something like that. And we were out at our campsite. We had a little pond near the woods, and we had this little campsite, and we used to camp out there. But I just remember one time we were burning all this wood on it out there, burning wood, burning wood, and we let it get higher and higher. And pretty soon the flames started reaching... It was in a hedgerow, and a hedgerow gets all these vines and everything and gets real choked. And it started hitting the vines and branches up higher and catching them on fire. <clears throat> and we were enjoying this, <clears throat> watching the fire get higher and higher and starting to spread into the trees and the vines and all that. And we're like, ah, it's, it's no big deal. But then the fire started creeping along the hedgerow toward the woods. And we're like, uh-oh, it's getting out of control. And so we, were, we went over and we tried to start you know, stopping it and putting it out and getting it to stop coming toward the woods. We didn't care if it went the other way down the hedgerow, but we didn't want to go to the woods. And and it started going, and it I'd never forget, it went past the little pond, around the pond, and through the trees, and it was getting to the woods. And now we were panicking because the wind was really pushing it. And I just remember we were, my brother Todd and I were just beating on the flames and fighting the flames and pulling branches down and just trying to stop it somehow. And it was so scary. I remember praying that foxhole prayer. Oh God, please, if you help us stop this fire, I'll never do anything like this again. You know, and, and so we were like, you know, I just, I just remember the thought hitting me. We're going to lose the woods. I remember looking up and seeing the vines and the trees and the fire and think, we're going to lose the woods. My dad's going to kill me. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, the wind shifted. It shifted. It was crazy. Just when we were ready to give up, the wind shifted and started blowing the other way. And we kept beating and fighting it and pulling stuff down. And, and we got the fire to stop progressing into the woods. <laughs> we saved the woods. And I remember thinking, oh, we saved the woods. We're not going to get in trouble. My dad will probably never find out. I remember thinking that thought. And that's when we heard the explosion. <laughs> so... It, the wind pushed it the other way down the hedgerow, and one of my dad's friends, Lee, he had a truck, and he used to come and cut wood, dead trees and wood and take it back to his farm right nearby, and then he had left the truck parked in the hedgerow there, and we were so busy fighting the fire here, we forgot about that, and his truck caught on fire and blew up. So... I remember, I remember thinking, before that happened, I'm like, if my dad's not looking and he doesn't see the, the smoke, we might get away with this. And then, boom, right? And so I had to go back and tell my dad. I go back and I said, Dad, we were burning out the hedgerow for you. You know how you like to burn out the hedgerows and get rid of all that tangled mess there? We were burning it out for you. Uh, and, and accidentally, we burned up Lee's truck. <laughs> And I just braced myself you know, for the explosion, another explosion. But my dad just said, it's his own fault. I told him to move that truck a long time ago. He should be leaving it parked on our farm anyway. I was like, pinch me, pinch me. But then I had to put up with Lee's explosion because I was out in the barn one day and Lee come flying in. And, Why'd you burn up my truck? And I said, it's your own fault. You shouldn't have parked it there. I said well, exactly what my dad said. He was shocked. Uh, you know, that, that mouth of mine paid off sometimes. But uh, he, he's so shocked. But what could he say? Because my dad did tell him don't park it there. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, it was a scary fire. 
today we're going to see an even scarier fire here in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. And we now come to one of the most well-known, best-known stories in the entire Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. We all learned that in Sunday school. But this isn't just for little children. It's for all of us, especially as we come into these end times and we approach the second coming of Jesus Christ. Things are heating up for us already. And this story is a picture of what we're going to face, and it's this is to prepare us for what we will face as we approach this time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that each one of us would be prepared. Whatever you're calling us to go through, that we would be prepared. I pray that this, your word here in Daniel 3 would prepare us. And you would, and if anybody here isn't ready for the second coming because they've never acted on the first coming, they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would take that step after hearing this. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick up the story here in Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So we see here that, remember, remember last time we saw Nebuchadnezzar had that dream about the huge huge statue, and he was the golden head, Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was the golden head on that statue. If you didn't hear that, go back and listen and come back here. But that that went to his head. I'm the golden head, and his head got a lot bigger. And so he's, I'm going to make a gold replica, but it's going to be all gold, not just that, but the whole thing's going to be gold. And this was a, a, we're not sure if it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar or his god Bel or a combination. Somehow he combined the two. We don't know, but we know that it was big and it was impressive. It was very impressive. It was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. They, it was 9 stories high, probably on a pedestal. And that, the whole statue probably wasn't actually 9 feet, but it was on some kind of pedestal. In fact, archaeologists think they may have actually found this foundation there in Babylon for this statue, this huge foundation. It was gold. We don't know if it was solid gold or gold-plated. Probably gold-plated. But, but either way, that's very impressive. And it was very impressive. In fact, the history books tell us that six miles from Babylon, six miles away, they could see this statue blazing in the sun. That's how bright it was. And so we see it's 90 by 9, but in Aramaic, which is what this story is written in, remember we talked about that, it's actually 60 by 6 cubits. 60 by 6. There's a couple sixes in there. Does that remind you of anything? 6, 6, 6. In fact, now remember, Daniel is a type of the end times. And it's, uh, it's a <clears throat> preparation for the book of Revelation. There's a lot of combinations as we see when we go through Daniel and then right into Revelation. Hand in glove, so many connections. But this is a type of the end times which we believe we are seeing unfolding today in the, in the world today, including in the United States today. And let's look at Revelation 13, what, after what I just said, 60 cubits by 6. Revelation 13, and I saw, verse 1, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and 7 heads with 10 crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. We'll get to that in Revelation, but we're also going to see the picture of this in Daniel. <coughs> Excuse me. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like uh, those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Now we talked about this back in Mark 13. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. 
He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous... Make sure I'm reading the right ones. Uh, performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he decide, deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image. Now, here we go. Look at the connections here. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone ha has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. The number is 666. See the parallels to the statue he set up, to what the, the, the false prophet has set up for the Antichrist and how they have to bow down, they have to worship. You can't buy, sell, you can't do anything. Sounds just like the coronavirus, doesn't it? Uh, <clears throat> and all that's happened with that. Look what's coming. The beast makes all worship the image of the Antichrist, the ultimate goal, uh, which is the ultimate goal of the one world religion that is on its way, the coming one world religion. Right now, the mantra is, we all worship the same God, we just call him different names. But it's it's all the same God. But here we're going to see it take the next step into the lie, which that is a lie already, but the next step in the lie, soon, here is the image of the supreme being. We've all been praying to the same being, and here he is. Here's his image. You have to worship him. It's the Antichrist who's really absorbing the worship on behalf of Satan, the dragon that has given him his power. Where They'll really be worshiping in the end times the Antichrist and Satan, just like Jesus. It's a counterfeit. Jesus and the Father, they're going to be worshiping the Antichrist and Satan himself. That's what's going to happen. Now, look at, let's go back here to Daniel chapter 3, verse 4, where it says... Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down, fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all peoples, nations, and men for, of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Once again, a picture of the worship of the Antichrist. Every nation, everybody's going to worship him. And we see that, <clears throat> that the command that everybody had to worship. And Babylonian chronicles, they've actually found these, record a coup attempt against Nebuchadnezzar from this time period. So this is possibly not just going to his head. It's got a big head, obviously. But also, it might be a loyalty check. It might be to reassert his control. Hey, I'm in control. And wants to make sure everybody's going to promise to obey him. All officials, it's like the entire Congress, was there. Huge crowd, huge statue. Think of the visual, this blazing golden 90 feet high, nine stories high. And you can imagine the music's playing. You, if you're ever into one of these NBA games, and before the game they play this music and the lights start flashing, everybody's going crazy. That's what it was a picture of, this, this, crazy, this crazy time. And think of the emotions, the fear, the power that he's trying to show. This is shock and awe. Uh, this is his spiritual shock and awe here. And then on top of that, if you don't do it, there's a blazing furnace right there. And in Babylon, there was all these brick 
kilns, furnaces right outside the city and that they used to make the bricks to keep the city going. It was a huge, huge city. I talked about that last time. They've actually found these brick kilns. The archaeologists have found them, these huge brick kilns where they would do that. And we know this is what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar loved to do to people. They didn't, if he didn't like somebody, throw them in the brick kilns, got rid of them. Jeremiah 29, 22 even talks about other, several other people that Nebuchadnezzar cooked in these furnaces. So it was something he did a lot. Now, back to his command. Nebuchadnezzar never said that you couldn't worship your own gods. He never said, and he had no problem with you worshiping your own gods, but you just have to acknowledge him and his God is number one. That's the key because, hey, I defeated the whole world. I defeated the whole world. And Nebuchadnezzar takes this very personally. It's like picking on the team of a real fan. You pick on somebody who's a real fan, they so totally identify with their team, they get really angry at you. And uh, and that's what this is like. He's completely identified with his God and, and he gets very angry about this. Now, so he wants everybody to pray, make his God, number one, bow down, pray to him. Still can pray to your God, but you're going to pray to my God. And there's no problem for all the other pagan religions. It's no problem because they all thought, yeah, they're all, there's lots of gods and it doesn't matter who you worship, what you call them. But no problem, just like today. We all worship many gods, no problem. But it was a big problem Big problem for the Jews because the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. They could not, they could not go along with us. This is something that the, the true Jews could not go along with. And this has been a big problem for Christians all throughout history. Remember that emperor, the Roman emperor, same problem they had. That's why there was all these persecutions of Christians. They didn't care if you pray to your Jesus, God, whatever he is. But, but you better pray to the emperor. You better, you know, make a sacrifice to him. And they wouldn't do it. And that's why the Christians were persecuted so intensely by the Roman emperors and all throughout history. Even now, Christians being killed at huge numbers all over because they wouldn't go along with this stuff. But it will be a really big problem for Christians in the end times too. Anybody who won't, we just read Revelation, you won't, won't bow down, won't get the number of the beast, the 666 won't bow down and worship them. Big, big problem. And the fiery furnace is a prophetic picture of Revelation 13, which we read, of the mark of the beast. It's a prophetic picture of the tribulation. That's what it is, okay? So then we, we see his command, and now we come to the accusation. The accusation back in Daniel 3, verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So they make this accusation. They stab these guys in the back. They're trying to get their jobs. You can see they're jealous, right? They're jealous, even though they owe their lives to these guys. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came up with an interpretation of the dream earlier, and that's what saved their lives. But it doesn't matter. They they are jealous. They, they're jealous that these guys got promoted. They don't like these guys. Expect attacks whenever we get promoted. Whenever God promotes us, expect attacks when God blesses us. It's going to come. And it says they denounced them. The word literally means they devoured them. They, they devoured them. They eat, it means to eat the flesh of. This was a vicious attack. The word picture here is a vicious attack. Don't be fooled by the world's phrase. Don't be fooled by the world's praise because just as they just were praised coming up with a dream, the dream team coming up with a dream and saving everybody's lives, just as they got promoted, everything was going great, now they, they, the world's praise quickly turns to booze, to booze. Booze. I've been uh, watching the, the Michael Jordan story, The Bulls Last Dance, and it's crazy. He was at the top, and then all of a sudden he made a few mistakes, and everybody's turning on him. Not everybody. A lot of people turned on him. He was like, oh, he stabbed in the back. And this is what really happened to these guys. Uh, although he did do a few things that made, gave people a, a reason these guys were innocent. But anyway, we won't go there. But uh, there is... There is, but it's, it was sad to see that people turn on Michael Jordan so quickly. It was crazy. And it had to be hard for him, and that's why he re, you know, uh, retired several times. But anyway, there is a cost 
Don't be fooled by the world's praise. There is a cost. If they praise, if they promote us, it, they, with that, they expect us to conform. They expect us to conform, and they will hate us if we don't. Look at John 15, 18 to 19. If the world hates you, it, remember it hated me first, Jesus said. And it's, they will hate you because you do, uh, they will hate you because of my name, he says. And so there's a cost that comes with not conforming. If, if they promote us, they're going to expect us to conform, and they'll hate us if we don't. And it, picture this. Thousands, how many thousands of people are bowing down before this huge statue? And there's three people off of this, there's a little speck standing up, not bowing down, just standing up. And then you see people looking up, should be praying, eyes closed, right? You know, that's what happens at the table. We're all, we're praying, and, and also in Laurel, little Laurel will say, Johnny doesn't have his eyes closed. Well, how do you know that, Laurel? Right? <laughs> Eyes open. And this is what, these guys should have had their heads down. But no, they're watching these guys. And, and they catch them and they, 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 they devour them. They stab them in the back. And where's Daniel? We don't know. Obviously, he wasn't there. He would have been accused too. He was maybe away on business somewhere or his loyalty was unquestioned. So they didn't even require him to come. We don't know why Daniel wasn't there, but we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. And <clears throat> it's the same today. The world expects us to conform. Conformity. All religions have the same God. It, and it's okay as long, everything's okay as long as you don't claim that your God is the only God. That's what ticks people off. I remember seeing a Buddhist monk reading about a Buddhist monk. And he said, if you just say Jesus is, is one of God's sons, that's no problem. We agree with you. But if you say he's the only one, then you are evil. And this peace-loving Buddhist monk, they like morphed into this scary being, you know. It was just, it was, it was scary. And uh, and, and it was like, like a villain all of a sudden. And it's because he had this hate of Christians who said, Jesus is the one and only son. It was, it was crazy. It was like gremlins, you know, that little gremlin, you know, the little cute little guy. And all of a sudden they get hit with the water or whatever. They, you know, they get crazy. Eat after midnight. You know, that's what this Buddhist monk was like. It was crazy. Just because we said Jesus is the only way. Oh, where's all the love? I'm not feeling the love. And so that that's what happens. The world, if we say he's the only way, oh, there is a hate. To tolerance. To uh, this tolerance is what they claim, but not as it's defined. Tolerance defined is we respect those who believe differently from us. But what the world means by tolerance is we will only tolerate you if you believe what we believe. That's what they really mean. We will only tolerate you if you affirm what we believe. Not just even go, not even just respect, but you gotta affirm, you gotta believe it, you gotta go along with it. The, the idea of, to, the opposite of tolerance, really. The one world religion is setting this up through tolerance and diversity. We see that it's a lie. They're not tolerant. They're, they don't look for diversity. They want it one way, their way. We're seeing this in our society. The coronavirus and, and the effects of it, the control that certain people are trying to exert, even though they claim they're all for freedom, the control they want to exert, and, and, the, and, and the hate that's coming out towards Christians. It's a sign, pay attention, the world expects us to conform, but God expects us to transform, to transform, not be conformed. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We are not to conform to the world, we're to be transformed by God's wor word. That's what God expects. There was a, I was just seeing a, a Chinese pastor I was reading about him this week, and he had been run out of China years ago, and now he's living in the United States. But he, he had advice for Christians and pastors in the U.S. seeing how we're handling this very minor persecution compared to what they see in China. And he said, I, he gave advice for the U.S. Christians who are afraid to witness or to take a stand or to put their jobs at risk or anything at risk because they'll get sued or get in trouble or something. And his, his response was, so what? <laughs> I loved it. So what? So what? He goes, that's what discipleship is all about. The cost. They know that cost in China. That's why they're seeing revival in China. We'll talk more about that later on. It, it's crazy what they're seeing. But he's like, so what? And and that's what I, that's what that's a message for the church and the USA today, right? So what? We should do. We should be followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost is. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continued. We get to uh, verse thirteen now. 
where we see Nebuchadnezzar's response. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So, he gives them, Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. Tolerant Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. Very unusual for Nebuchadnezzar. This guy was vicious. Wicked, vicious guy. He must have liked them. He must have respected them. He gives them a second chance to be politically correct. Politically correct. Uh, he's, he's showing them tolerance. He gives them a second chance to see things my way. And that just reminds me something about Nebuchadnezzar I want to make sure I share next time. He was a vicious guy. I want to make sure I share that in the next sermon. But he he is... He is a, uh, he's showing an amazing tolerance because he's usually not very tolerant at all. I'm going to bring that out. Okay. And he, <clears throat> I got a great story about Nebuchadnezzar for another time. So <clears throat> he, he gives him a second chance to see things my way or die. That's his tolerance. Do it my way or you're going to die. That's what how most of our country sees tolerance now. And I'm talking about the side that is very intolerant. They preach tolerance, but they're very intolerant. It reminds me of, of what we see in the United States today over many issues. I remember when our church here started in New Hope. And there were a radical group tried to block us from starting the church here in New Hope. They didn't think we were the right kind of church. Now, first of all, there's very little gospel preaching, Bible-believing witness here. Very, very, very little. Uh, it's just not that kind of town. It's known as, um, well, it was known as the witchcraft capital of the Northeast when we came. It's lost that title now, which we're hoping that's because of our prayers and ministry. But it was also considered the Sodom and Gomorrah of Pennsylvania. Still has that moniker. And we were not the right, we were not the right kind of church, according to the people when we, a certain group when we came in. They got our invitations, postcards and everything. They called me. They said, what do you believe? They started asking me all these questions. And they said that you're not the right kind of church. You can't come in and you hope. Because the, the main question they asked was about sexual sin, especially with homosexuality. And I said, well, the Bible says it's sin, so it's sin. And then he got, got really upset. But I clarified. I said, listen, all sexual sin is sin. Whether it's homosexual, whether it's adult heterosexual sins like adultery, premarital sex, pornography. I went through the whole list and they said, well, everybody's, nobody's okay. I go, yes, that's right. We all need Jesus. You got it right. You got it right. And so uh, they, they said, they tried to convince me that I was wrong and they made threats. They hammered away at us. And not everybody. There was, there was a whole segment in that group that saw the hypocrisy. They said, they came to me. The guys were like, we just want to be left alone. We're not leaving you alone. What's wrong with these people? You know, so there was a whole group that defended us and supported us. And, and I'm very good friends with to this day. But uh, we ended up at, we ended up landing at the school board because we used the school for, for our worship services. And they came and they tried to say we were, you know, they spread all these lies and slanders and attacked my character. They threatened me. You talk about hate crime. Poo. Uh, that's just it. We're all about, all against hate, but, and bullying, but they're the biggest bullies I've ever seen. Unbelievable. And, and they cursed me. They were cursed me at the school board meeting and freaking out. They, I, they would have lynched me if they could have got their hands on me. That's how crazy it was here. And I forget, as it was all blown up, the school board was great. They voted like eight to one to let us use the school. They took a, a real courageous stand. I respected them so much in spite of all the pressure and all the lies they were facing and, and stuff, slander they faced. But I really respect that school for doing this. And, uh, and I'll never forget, though, the one lady behind me taps me on the shoulder and one of the vicious face, and she says to me, welcome to the long arm of tolerance. Welcome to the long arm of tolerance. Oh, this freaking out lynching is, is tolerance. And she, she really believed it. She brainwashed. She really believed it. Listen, I have seen the face of tolerance. And it was an ugly face. It's an ugly face. Let me tell you, it's hate-filled. It's, it's an ugly face. To, to, so here we come back to tolerant Nebuchadnezzar who says, What God is able to rescue you? What 
This is what is usually at the base of this so-called Taurus. The real agenda is against our God. They hate God. They hate the one true God. They hate his son, Jesus Christ. That's really at the base of it. What God? Well, oh yeah, that's right. That God could interpret my dream, but, but not, but handling fire is a whole other thing. Isn't that crazy? So many times we believe that too. Yes, we put God in a box. Even us at times. Do we believe God has the power in our individual lives, the crises that we're in the middle, midst of, in the world events, do we believe God has the power? It's vital if we're going to stay strong. It's vital if we're going to stay strong in, in crises and in persecution, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's important that we believe God has that power. That's what this whole book is about. But we believe God has the power. The Christians under, under Roman persecution... We're going to face persecution. When the Christians were facing Roman persecution, they were often given a second chance. A second chance. Few took it. Very few took it. In fact, I saved this story about Polycarp. Polycarp was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. And he was an old, old man when the Romans arrested him. And look at what he, look at what he says here. I'm going to read this out of uh, Fox Book of Martyrs. Great book. Have you ever read it? And then a good follow-up is By Their Blood, another great one about persecution, more modern persecution. But the pro proconsul asked Polycarp, who's an old man, he said, Consider thyself and have pity on thine own great age and many other such-like speeches which they are wont to make. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent. Say, Away with the atheists. See, he, they considered Christians atheists because they wouldn't pray to all the gods. They would only pray to one god, which made them an atheist. <laughs> we call someone who doesn't believe in the one true god an atheist, right? Uh, so Polycarp, with a grave aspect, beholding all the multitude in the stadium and waving his hand to them, he's in this stadium, middle of a stadium, gave a deep sigh, looking up to heaven, said, Take away the atheists. The proconsul then urged him, saying, Swear, and I will release thee. Reproach Christ. Polycarp answered, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul again urged him, Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Just pray to Caesar. Just bow down to the idols, right? Polycarp replied, Since you still vainly strive to make me swear by the fortune of Caesar, as you express it, affecting ignorance of my real character, hear me frankly declaring what I am. I am a Christian. And if you desire to learn the Christian doctrine, assign me a day and you shall hear. Hereupon the proconsul said, I have wild beasts and I will expose you to them unless you repent. Call for them, replied Polycarp, for repentance with us is a wicked thing if it is to be a change from the better to the worse, but a good thing if it is to be a change from evil to good. I will tame thee with fire, said the proconsul, since you despise the wild beasts, unless you repent. Then Polycarp said, now get this, because this is important. About, I just heard from a, an old friend who had written a book about how there, nobody goes to hell anymore, and how we all go to heaven, and this was invented by Christians hundreds of years after Christ. And half of the Christians, half of the born-again Christians in America believe that we're not going to hell. Nobody goes to hell. Half! They think, there's a thinking is that, well, but no matter what Jesus said, no matter what the Bible, Jesus talked about hell 27 times, more than heaven, 27 times. He warned us over and over, he doesn't want us to go there. But it's a reality if we don't put our faith in Jesus Christ. But there's this thinking that everybody's going to somehow get to heaven someday. But listen, listen to what Polycarp, a disciple of John, said. He Following the Bible, the Bible, Jesus taught it. Polycarp, John obviously taught it. Polycarp believed it. It wasn't invented in 500 by some emperor. Listen to this. Then said Polycarp, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is soon extinguished, but the fire of the future judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly you are ignorant of. But why do you delay? Do whatever you please. Wow. Wow. Pretty clear. Pretty clear, uh, very clear. And then they decided he was going to be burnt alive. And when they would have fastened him to the stake, he said, Leave me as I am. For who, for he who gives me strength to sustain the fire will enable me also without you securing me with nails to remain without flinching in the pile. Upon which they bound him without nailing him. So he said thus, O Father, I bless thee that thou hast counted me worthy to receive my portion among the number of the martyrs. 
and then they burn them at the stake. The rest is the story of burning Polycarp, 86 years old, at the stake. Amazing. But this is what happened to the early church. And in Revelation, Daniel, and then in Revelation, we're, we're going to see an incredible pressure to compromise. We won't be able to eat without the mark of the beast. We won't be able to buy food. We're going to be hunted like animals. We're going to be beheaded. Think about the groups that do the beheading today. Connect the dots, uh, hunting us, all right? And, and we're, we're going to be accused of being terrorists. We already see it now. They're already, they're already, many of the media is already comparing the religious right to terrorism and terrorists. They're just as bad as terrorists, you know? And, and that's what they're going to see us as and mark us and hunt us. Shadrach, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed God had the power. That's why they responded in faith. And look at the response in verse 16. Daniel 3, verse 16, where it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied... memorize this one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In this matter. And I want to make sure... Oh, yeah, okay. We don't need to defend ourselves. They, they were... They were... There's no compromise. They're not going to defend themselves. They were faithful in the small tests... Remember the food? They were faithful in that, and now they remain faithful in the large test, the fire. They, they, they were, the small decisions matter, the little compromises or the little victories that we fight for, that look, that thought, that lie, that cheating, that cutting that corner. They either prepare us for future failure or for future spiritual victory. And that's what happened. This is why they, they did, didn't compromise. They didn't compromise and they didn't defend themselves. We're not going to defend ourselves. We're going to let God defend us. And this is important to understand. They're, they're, if they had defended themselves, they weren't going to understand anyway. They could have defended themselves till they were blue in the face and Nebuchadnezzar was still going to be red in the face. He's going to still be angry. There, you, you, sometimes, I'm not saying there's a time and a place to defend, to do something legally, to speak up. There is a time and a place, but so often we should let God defend us. So often we should do that. They... I remember when we had our church starting up and they started threatening us and they made all these threats to me and they thought by threatening that I would back down. And I said, you do what you have to do. I'm going to do what I have to do and that is be a witness for Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Go ahead and turn up the heat because I'm going to keep on speaking the truth of Jesus Christ that he can transform any life. Whatever the struggle, whatever the sin, whatever the bondage, whatever the lie, the delusion, Jesus Christ can transform Anybody, he has that power, and and I said I'm going to do that, and and we <clears throat> we didn't have to defend ourselves. I got attacked and attacked, but just like we see with with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't have to defend ourselves. God will defend us, and when when we're attacked for our faith, it's usually better to let God do the defending, unless He clearly leads us to take a stand and to speak up. We see both happen in the book of Acts. You have to be the Holy Spirit's leading in, in Him. But we don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to justify ourselves. Let God defend. Let our actions defend. This was a hard lesson for me because I like to defend myself. Uh, but God taught me to just be quiet and let the people's actions speak. Let let God show. And I remember people coming to me and, and saying, how do you get your people to, to respond this way? With all the crazy things that are being said, your people have responded beautifully. It's unbelievable. It's making the other side look crazy and you guys look good. And I'm like, and God look good. And and I said, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. He goes, the people say to me, how do you control your people? I go, I don't. It's the Holy Spirit. They're trusting God. And it was, it was a, it was it was a, a crazy the re, the change in the community because of that. So many people that were against us became our supporters and started defending us. And even in the group that attacked us, I have some great friends today. Some of my very very good friends now are part of that that group. It's it's crazy. I, I don't, I'm not going to go any further because I'll embarrass some people out there, but some people that really went after me are now my best friends and good, good friends. And, and even, uh, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. So, uh, the reason that we don't compromise, the reason that we don't have to fear, the reason that we don't have to compromise comes out here in verses 17 and 18 now. Here we are, Daniel 3, verses 17 and 18. If we are thrown into a blazing fire, then the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Wow. You talk about confidence? This is real faith. God can protect us. God will protect us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to serve him. That's real faith. And I can right now hear the word of faith people. So Wait, that's not right. These guys, that, that's not right. That's doubt. That's lack of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just said. You, you, <clears throat> God can't work if there's not enough faith. And if we don't, if we let any doubt creep in or any possibility of anything else happening, then what we want, God won't work. That is not true. That is a false teaching. I'll have word of faith people say, you can't pray if it's in your will, God, because you've just opened the door to doubt and you've just opened the door to not real faith. But listen, if it's your will should be the basis of every prayer. That should always be our prayer. First John 4, 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. It's always His will. That's how, that's what every prayer. We can pray that in faith, just like they did. Look at what they prayed. We know God will protect, can protect us. We hope He will. But either way, we have faith in you, God, and in your plan. Either way. That is real faith. I'm going to say that again. We, I know you can, God, get me out of this. I hope you will, but either way, I have faith in you and in your plan. That is true faith. This is real faith. Even if I'm not rich and healthy and wealthy and successful, I'm still going to serve you. Which is what the whole word of faith lie is all about. The pagans thought that they could manipulate the gods. That was their whole thinking behind their worship. They could manipulate the gods somehow. And that's the word of faith. They think they can manipulate God. They can create their own reality by the word and the faith that they have. The so-called faith that they have. And, and that, that's, it's a false faith. It's easy to follow God when everything's positive. It's simple. But will we when we're in a trial? And I see many go both ways. Some get stronger in that trial and some drop their faith in that trial. We don't serve God because of what he does for us, but because of who he is. Not because he's given us something or he's going to give us something or we can manipulate him or get him to do something, put in that penny prayer and out pops the gun ball answer. No, it, it's Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed us if we die, God is still the God of the universe. That's what they're saying to him. He's still the God of the universe and your idols are still garbage. Jeremiah called them round things. Idols are round things. He's talking about horse manure, round things. That's what he called them. That's all they are. They're worthless. That, that's what real faith is. Real faith is, is that relationship with God. No matter what we are going through, we still have this intimacy and closeness and peace and joy. I remember I was... I remember I was studying the book of Ecclesiastes one time. I was in seminary. I was at my security job late at night. And I was reading Ecclesiastes and studying. And I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday night. And I was depressed because here's Solomon who saw God, spoke to him, talked, uh, didn't see, spoke to God. Well, God appeared. And he, he spoke to him. And, and he, he knew God. And he built the temple. And he was the wisest and the richest and Everything was going great for him, and yet he and he turned his back on God. He turned to idols at the end. He got involved with these foreign wives, which he shouldn't have married. Built built temples, idols. Sad, sad story. And you go from Proverbs, which was him in his middle age, to Ecclesiastes, which was the story of Solomon in his old age when he was a miserable person. The story of Ecclesiastes is a story of a Christian or a believer who falls away from God. And it was I was depressed. The things he was saying, which aren't all true, but they're all true of someone who has lost their relationship with God. He was in misery. <clears throat> Emptiness. Completely empty. And I remember being depressed and going to Sunday school the next day and I taught Sunday school class at this church. I was in seminary. And I remember teaching Sunday school and one of the people in my Sunday school class, her name was Mrs. Timmy. She, she was turning 80 years old. It was her birthday that day. And I'll never forget, she stood up and said, I want to give a little testimony of my 80th birthday. This woman had no college. She was a widow she had one child who had who had uh, mental challenges. Uh, she had uh, she she was mentally challenged. She lived in this tiny little house, poor as a mouse. We would go over with these group and try to help take care of her house and the lawn and all that. We just try to help her. She this woman had every reason to be unhappy, but I'll never forget 
Never forget what she shared that day. She said, I, 80th birthday, she said, I've been a Christian for 75 years. And I tell you, there is nothing better than living for God. Nothing better. And serving Him. Nothing better than living for God and serving Him. And she had a glow on her face. Now, Mrs. Timmy has, was probably never pretty, but she was beautiful. She was beautiful. She had a glow. It was amazing. And I remember thinking, she has more wisdom than Solomon. She has more wisdom in her little finger than Solomon had his whole life. Because she, she, she had real faith. She had a real relationship. She had real peace and real joy that wasn't contingent on wealth or health or everything going her way or telling God what she wanted and getting what she wanted. It was based on trusting Him and knowing Him. It was a beautiful, beautiful story, Mrs. Timmy. I'll never forget her. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't sure of the plan, God's plan, but they knew the person and they knew His power they knew, they know, they knew that God doesn't always save us from a trial, from martyrdom. Look at all the Christians being martyred all over the world. It's crazy numbers. Although there are many miracles, many being saved. But, but she, they knew that they, God would not always save them, but He always gives the grace to go through it. Wait till we see the next, cha- next sermon here, the rest of the chapter. He always gives the grace to go through it. The coronavirus, I believe, I keep saying this, I believe that's preparing us for the end times. It's preparing us for Revelation 13, which we saw. We will need to take a stand. Take a stand. And we can't be afraid of the consequences. The, the key is, the test is, how are we doing now? Are we taking a stand daily now? Do we tell our friends, no now? Do we tell our boss, no now? Do we tell the world, no now? Do we take a stand for Jesus? Say yes to Jesus and no to the world. Are we doing that? How are we handling the tests now? How are we handling it now? Will we take a stand? Will we take a stand? I want to share a story just before uh, we end in prayer here. And I'll show you what the picture, I think this is a, a picture of Revelation 13, how we need to be prepared for the end times, how we need to take a stand and not be afraid of the consequences. And, and this, this is a, a, a picture of what I'm talking about. This is from Blood of the Martyrs, uh, or no, By Their Blood, By Their Blood. It's a follow-up, really, to the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's more modern. And it says here, talking about Madagascar. In Madagascar in the mid-1800s, uh, what the persecution, because the Christians wouldn't bow down to the, the queen's idols. There was a queen who was ruling, and she had the idols, and what she was doing. And it says, for a few years, the Christians enjoyed peace. Then on March 28, 1849, 19 Christians from influential families were condemned to death. Fifteen of the group were to be hurled over a high cliff into a rocky ravine 150 feet below. The idols were taken to the top of the cliff, and as each victim was lowered a little over the edge of the cliff, the demand was made, will you worship Christ or the Queen's gods? Each answered Christ. And as they answered Christ, the ropes were cut, the martyrs plunged down, downward, some singing as they fell. Only one of the 15 was spared. A young girl was declared insane. And then she was sent to live in another village, a distant village, where when she grew up, she helped establish a large church in the community that, that was to win her relatives to Christ. And then the martyrdom continued in 1861 when the persecutor died. A successor declared herself a Christian and uh, she became queen of Madagascar. That same year, Madagascar, the church spiraled upward from 37,000 to 250,000 in one year because these people were willing to cut the rope. Are we willing to cut the rope? Are we willing to be cut off from this world for Jesus Christ? Are we willing to, to take that stand? Would you? What would, what would we do? What are we doing right now? That tells us what we would do. That tells us, as a Christian, our prayer needs to be, God, I may be afraid, humanly, but I trust you with X, Y, and Z. 
I trust you with my life, with my family, with, with everything else. I know you can deliver me. I hope you will, but even if you don't, I'm still going to trust you and follow you. And maybe you're here listening to this right now and you've never trusted your life to Jesus Christ. You've never given him your life. You've never prayed the prayer of faith. That is the first step to surviving this. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith, the word there for believe isn't intellectual, it means to put your trust, it means a heart faith, it means to completely trust in it, to depend on. That's what the Greek word means for faith. Have you ever put your complete trust in Jesus Christ? Jesus, the Son of God, who, who God sent down to this earth to die on a cross, to pay for our sin, to break the power of sin and death in our life, to give us a brand new life, just like he resurrected from the dead, to give us a brand new life in Jesus Christ, a life that starts the moment we put our faith in Jesus and goes throughout all of eternity. Have you ever given your life Put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. You don't need a special prayer. You don't need a special ritual. You don't need a, a, a religious person, a leader to help you with this. It's between you and God. The prayer of faith, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for me. That he gave his life for me. For my sin, which I repent of. I turn away from. I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in him for forgiveness. I want that new life that you have promised. I want to live for Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you have just taken the first step. You are now saved. You have now have salvation, but you have taken the first step into the battle of living free. You are free in Jesus Christ, and now you're ready to fight that battle and be ready for the battles that are coming. To not fall for the deception and the lies of the Antichrist, you, have now, you are now free in Jesus, and it's important that you grow in your faith. Important that you learn how to fight spiritually. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. If you have a family member or friend or you have someone you know in a Bible study or a good church, tell somebody. But if you need to tell someone and you can't find anybody, tell me. I'll, I'll be excited for you and, and help you to grow in your faith. I'll get you connected with, with a group that can help you grow in your faith. NHCC at Comcast.net. That's my uh, email you can connect with me and I'll get you connected and be very excited for you. But it's very important that you grow spiritually. How about those who have already put our faith in Christ? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How do we need to prepare? Prepare. Maybe there's a little battle that we need to fight that's going to prepare us for the bigger one. Maybe it's taking a stand. Maybe we have to take the attitude of that Chinese pastor. So what? Who cares what they say? Who cares what they do? So what? I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe there's an area of your life you're thinking about right now that you've compromised, that you're going to fight your way out of by the Holy Spirit's power. Father, I pray that every one of us would be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ, that we would act on that first coming and then we would grow in our sanctification and we'd be ready for the second coming, whatever comes our way. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.